Well, we're excited, uh, as I mentioned before, for the third week in Advent, and it's, uh, as is common this time of year, you kind of go, third week in Advent? I mean, how close is Christmas? It's, it's getting really close. Um, so there's still lots and lots and lots to do. We're celebrating some exciting things, you know, in the life of our church. And now my computer just woke up and it's going to tell me about all the messages that I've missed. Let's silence that for a while. Uh, last Sunday, we were able, we were blessed to have uh, the, the Danny Kolke uh, Quartet with us. It's Jazz Sunday, and so that's kind of an unusual Sunday, I realize, if you've never been a part of uh, the, those worship services before, but what a cool way to celebrate Advent and to worship the Lord with some jazz music. And this week, of course, is kind of the sing-along, the Christmas carol sing that's happening tonight at 7 p.m. We'd love to have you join us. That will be lots and lots of fun. We've, the last couple of years, done that at Boxley's, or Danny's Jazz Club that's downtown. But we've outgrown it, and so we needed to move to a little bigger space, and so that's why it's here this Sunday. Um, we would love to have you join us. And then next week, we're looking forward to Brass Sunday. This is when we gather uh, a whole bunch of our high school and college students who are instrumentalists and uh, and, and play hymns, old school, on Sunday morning. And so please join us for one of our services on Christmas Eve, 7 p.m. We'll be having our final kind of celebration, our candlelight service, uh, to worship the Lord and remember his advent with us. So um, one of the most familiar images surrounding the birth of Jesus occurs in Luke chapter 2. And it's when Mary and Joseph traveled to Bethlehem around the time Mary was to give birth. And they inquired about a place to stay. You know, we like to say it was an inn or a local hotel. We actually don't know what it was. It was uh, the word that's used in the original Greek just basically means, I mean, it's like what would have existed at that time. And they needed a place to stay. I mean, Mary is months and months and months and months. She's ready to give birth. She's pregnant. And the innkeeper tells them there's no room in the inn. And so when you think about that, you're like, wow, that's, that's pretty harsh. I mean, was the innkeeper being cruel? Was he just heartless, indifferent? Probably not. He just simply didn't have any space. And so our lives are much like that inn and that innkeeper. We'd like to accommodate Jesus. We'd like to make room for God. But with very, very full lives and schedules, we don't think we have the space. We don't think. We have the time. And so our Advent theme this year is about making room. How can we make room, make time and space for God, for what he wants us to do among us during this, the busiest time of year? Bruce, are you catching the feedback that's coming? Okay. I can block it out for a long time, but then it reaches, that's perfect. That's great. Thank you so much. Well, two weeks ago, we began this Advent journey of making room. Uh, making room for a promise. God's promises take time. God's promises are, are like fruit. They take a, a good fruit, and they take a long time to ripen. And last week, we're excited to have Matt Randall's preach, and he talked about making room for mystery, that as God reveals his plan for our lives, we can choose to receive it in faith like Mary does, even when we don't understand or know all the details. And today, we're going to be talking about making room for others. God comes into our world through community, and we make room for him by making room for each other. And so we're going to pick up the story again in Luke chapter 1, verse 39, where we've already met two sets of unlikely, uh, unlikely parents, 
Notably, they couldn't be any more different. The first set is an older married couple named Zechariah and Elizabeth. And even though they are unlikely first-time parents, they fit the mold of model citizens. Elizabeth and Zechariah are established. They're secure in their extended families, their community. We're told that they're righteous in the sight of God. Both, uh, both of them come from priestly religious families, and they live in a great place. The text says they live in the hill country of Judea. That's like saying someone is from Sammamish or Kirkland or Green Lake. Nice, nice places. It means there's a level of prosperity and status there. But in spite of all this, we're also told they've never been able to conceive a child. Undoubtedly a source of discouragement, disappointment, pain in their lives. And now they're very old, much past the years of childbearing and rearing, and yet nothing is impossible with God. And so then we meet Mary. We don't know much about Mary, likely because there's probably not that much to know. She's just another pregnant teenage girl from Nazareth, kind of like being from the Rainier Valley or Kent, maybe even North Bend. In spite of her evident youth, her scandalous marital status or lack of marital status, the God of the universe chose Mary to carry our precious Messiah. And so we're told Mary received the angelic news with humility, with faith. She would be miraculously pregnant, just like her relative Elizabeth. So here we are in Luke 1, verse 39. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. So we learn that Mary hurried to visit Elizabeth. At this point, Elizabeth would have been six months pregnant, definitely showing. Pregnant with her son, John, Mary wouldn't probably be showing at all. We presume that Mary was hurrying to escape the scandal brewing in Nazareth. Maybe she was a little, <laughs> or she was hurrying to escape not just the scandal, probably to escape her confused and wounded fiance, Joseph. Maybe she had some angry parents. She was facing public shame. But you kind of wonder, outside of Joseph and her family, who even knew that Mary was pregnant unless she told them? There's so many details in the story that we want to know, and we just don't. So maybe, maybe Mary hurried because she was excited. Maybe she wasn't trying to escape at all. Maybe she was just going to help out her, her cousin or her relative, however she's related to Elizabeth. She was just going to help out. Zechariah, if you remember, Elizabeth's husband, was struck dumb, mute. He couldn't talk. <laughs> he might not have been of much use to Elizabeth at that point. Makes you wonder, are husbands ever much use in those kind of situations? Maybe not. And so here's marrying, or Mary, young, youthful, energetic, 
hurrying to see Elizabeth, and uh, she probably would have stayed the three months till the child was born. You think about childbirth, I mean, it's still really, really, really dangerous. Imagine a, an at-risk pregnancy in the ancient world. Incredibly, incredibly dangerous. So in the three to five days it would have taken Mary to walk from Nazareth to Judea, I kind of wonder if reality didn't sink in. You know, bearing the Messiah means to Mary public shame because eventually she will start showing and everyone will talk, hear the news, laugh, not believe her, whatever. I don't even know what they told people. Eventually, uh, she would feel family pressure. She probably at this point has a boyfriend she loves that's really hurt. And she has a very, very uncertain future. I mean, Mary is extremely vulnerable. She's alone. She's alone except for God's presence with her. She's alone except for the companionship of her relative Elizabeth. She's alone except for this tiny little life growing inside of her. This is all new to Mary. She's never ever been pregnant. So on top of this incredible emotional toll that I'm sure this all took, you think of the physical demands that are just being put on her own body. The Advent devotional that we've been reading through as a church, Making Room in Advent. Bette Dickinson writes this. She says, Mary's future was about to be completely reshaped by the Messiah in her womb. How far would she be willing to stretch? I don't know about you. I'm not sure I'd be in much of a hurry to accommodate God quite like this. I mean, how far would you, would I be willing to stretch? You know, I'll never forget the day when I was in high school. I had a, a friend of mine who was really into fitness. He was working out a ton and uh, practically lived in the weight room. And one day he came to me and he, he flexes and he shows me his bicep and he, he says, see these marks? They're stretch marks. He was so proud of himself. And I kind of just sat there and thought, weird, <laughs> really weird. But he was uh, so stoked to have stretch marks. I mean, his muscles were growing faster than his skin could literally contain them. And then when my wife was pregnant, she was hoping to avoid stretch marks. I tried to convince her, these are really, really cool. Like I said, husbands aren't much help during that time. She informed me that they leave a permanent mark. However hard you try, sometimes stretch marks are just unavoidable. But the second you make eye contact with that little bundle of joy living inside of you, it's all worth it. Oddly enough, sometimes stretch marks are unavoidable when it comes to making room for God. He might lead us into uncharted territory, he might push us past our comfort zone where familiarity fades, the unknown begins. And for certain, life with Jesus will completely reshape our future. But we can stretch. We can stretch to accommodate the new life living inside of us. You know, faith is just like a muscle. When you exercise it, it grows stronger. You'll never ever regret being stretched, even when the prospects seem too difficult for you to overcome. 
And so here's Mary, hurrying away to Zechariah and Elizabeth's home. And the gospel writer Luke tells us that Mary greeted Elizabeth. At the sound of her voice, the, the baby leaps in her womb. You know, I've read this story over and over again, a hundred times in my life. And that Elizabeth would recognize the tiny life growing inside of Mary. There's proof of women's divine intuition, isn't it? It's also proof that men should never, ever, ever, under any circumstances, ask a woman if she's pregnant, right? They've got a leg up on us. They can just tell. But I noticed something this week that I had never done before. It's a bit of a trick question, I suppose, if I were to ask you, you know, what word in that passage that we read just a minute ago is repeated the most? It's a trick question because you'll say, well, it's the word blessed. But that's actually two different Greek words in the original language. No, the word greeting is the one that's repeated three different times. Greeting, 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 greeting. The Hebrew way of telling us something is important is by repeating words and phrases. And so I noticed this week, almost for the first time, this greeting, there's something in the way that Mary approaches Elizabeth. It's humble. It's respectful. The words don't even get recorded, but at the time, the sound of your greeting, Elizabeth said, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. So filled with the Holy Spirit, in a loud voice, that's the code language, Elizabeth explains, blessed are you among women, and blessed is this child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Elizabeth is the first person in Scripture who acknowledges who Jesus truly is. He's my Lord, present here with us. And like I said, this is loaded language, being filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaiming in a loud voice. That's an indicator in Scripture that this person is prophesying. Elizabeth is prophesying. She sees clearly in, into the future. The baby in her womb is leaping. They both recognize the presence of the Lord, the Messiah. And so there's two things here that jump out at me. The first is this. Is there anything too difficult for God? You know, last week, Matt Randall spoke about the Annunciation, the moment when the angel Gabriel appears to Mary, tells her that she will bear the Messiah. And Mary says, how can this be since I'm a virgin? And Gabriel responds by saying this. He says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy the son of God, and behold, your relative Elizabeth is in her old, in her old age, has conceived a son, and, thi and is, this is the sixth month with her who is called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. Maybe you need to hear that this morning. Nothing is impossible with God. You know, whatever you're facing, it doesn't mean things are always going to turn out the way that we want them to, but it means that whatever mission God has for us in our life, there's no power in the world that can get in the way of it. Now, Phil Manili wrote in our Advent devotional this last week, day eight, he wrote about this exact thing. He said, Elizabeth is too old, 
Mary was not married. These seem like significant limits that would interfere with God's ability to fulfill his plan. But they were not. Not limits. And the theological question, the practical question, the daily life question for us is that in our heart of hearts, do we believe that nothing is too difficult for God? Second thing that jumps out at me from this story has to do with Mary and Elizabeth, this kind of odd pairing of relatives, friends. Um, Although they're separated by many years in age, both of them are spiritual powerhouses. You know, as Elizabeth proclaims the word of the Lord to Mary, she says, and blessed is she who believed. She's talking about Mary and her faith. Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Mary believed. Mary yielded. Mary trusted that nothing is impossible for God. Mary had confidence that the Lord would find or make a way. And so maybe Mary made this long journey to be Elizabeth because she needed someone to speak these words to her, to strengthen and encourage her, to help her sing her song. All of us need someone like that. And so it's striking to me how Luke centers the entire birth narrative around women, not men. I mean, this is incredible. Luke is from the ancient Near East, you know, Middle Eastern culture, saying that that culture is a patriarchal culture or a men-first culture would be a radical understatement. I mean, women at this time didn't even count as witnesses in a court of law. Why would he make this account that features women so prominently? Well, maybe it's the same reason Jesus himself included women in his closest circle of followers. Maybe it's the same reason why Jesus, as a rabbi, taught women right alongside men. I mean, no one else did that at the time. So Luke here is elevating the role that women play in God's story. It's not a bit part. It's the main part. As Bette Dickinson writes, God prepares the world to receive him through the obedience, voices, and bodies of Elizabeth and Mary. Where would we be without their sacrificial love to bear such powerful miracles into the world? You know, the Holy Spirit didn't miss when Elizabeth started prophesying. She started speaking the words and insight that she could only have received from the Lord. You know, the Holy Spirit didn't miss when Mary utters the beautiful, profound, and prophetic phrases of the Magnificat, which uh, she says right after this passage that we just read this morning. God didn't make a mistake or break his own rules relating to the role of men and women in the world. And fulfilling his divine plan. No, God purposefully empowers women with spiritual gifts of prophecy, teaching, leadership, and faith. And these giftings, these callings are meant to be unleashed among God's people. They're meant to be employed in service to God's kingdom. And we would be wise to make room for women to exercise these gifts to their fullest potential just as God has in his story, not as a little sideshow, 
but as part of the main church. And so making room, it's, it's not just women who find their place, who sing their song, who devote their lives to God's great redemptive plan. The Jesus story includes all of our stories. It's the young and the old. It's men and women. It's the physically weak, the economically poor, not just the strong and the rich. It's for Jews and non-Jews. God's plan is to make room for all of us in his story. In fact, God comes into our world through community. God lives in community, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God works through community, the church. God is others-minded, and we should be too. You know, when it comes to God's plan, it's not just for us alone, for individuals. It's for an entire diverse community of his followers. And through this tiny child growing in Mary's womb, God's going to set society right side up for the first time since Eden. That's his kingdom. That's his promise. That's his plan. And all of us are part of this plan. We're working to help him establish his kingdom among others in our world. And so as God's story is being worked out and room is being made, we should recognize who's included. And if God includes all these different groups of people in his story, shouldn't we be willing to include those groups of people in our own story too? So how can we make room? We can make room just like Mary and Elizabeth show us how. We make room like Mary did for Elizabeth where Mary seeks out her companionship of someone who's on a similar journey. She could have tried to just go it alone, could have tried to just suffer through it, but instead she opens herself up to her relative, her friend Elizabeth, who supports and encourages her in all of her vulnerable time. You know, we can make room for others just like Elizabeth did for Mary. I mean, when you think about this, Elizabeth was by far the social superior here. She's also carrying a child of divine purpose and blessing. But rather than being filled with envy or feeling threatened by this younger woman, Elizabeth is filled with joy. She feels secure in who God has called and made her to be. She's filled with awe that she gets to be a part of God's story with Mary. You see, in God's way of working things, in his economy, so to speak, his blessing and his love aren't scarce resources. We're taught in all of our economic theories and way of life that things are scarce. There's not enough of it. There'll never be enough. But that's not so with God. There's always enough. Love begets more love. Blessing begets more blessing. God works in an economy of abundance, not scarcity. That's what Elizabeth really shows us here. Rather than feeling threatened or whatever she might be, she gets to be a part of this with Mary. What a blessing it is for her too. And so for a community to grow, especially in the life of our church, it first takes being vulnerable and learning to receive help from others. But it also requires a posture of humility 
and recognition that we're not competing for God's love or his blessing with our other brothers and sisters in Christ. No, God is in fact present through Jesus in each and every single one of us. We can celebrate that fact. That's how we make room for others during this season of Advent. Please join me in prayer. Lord, we are so grateful for the gift of um, friends and family members and sometimes total strangers who you send into our lives to comfort, to support, to encourage us in our times of need. I mean, the moments in life that sneak up on us when from one day to the next, things can totally change. So in those moments, help us to let the love in, Lord, with your love. Rather than feeling envious or threatened by someone else who seems to have your blessing just pouring down and into their life, Lord, rather than being threatened by that, Lord, Help us to recognize your presence in them and how you are at work. To celebrate that, Lord. To be filled with your Holy Spirit and with your joy, Lord. You work in and through community, Lord. You live in community. So by your Spirit's power, continue to transform us into a group of people that makes room for you, a group of people that makes room for others. We pray this in your powerful name. Well, at this time, I'd like to invite our, our kids, our St. Lucie kids. Actually, Danny, would you come up and we'll, we'll have a closing song together and then we'll, we'll do this together.